It's great to be back with you guys. I've had a couple weeks off, a little vacation time, and it's really good to be back with you. And and, um, if you weren't with us last week, we've just started a sermon series where we're looking at the book of Jonah. And um, Eric did a great job of starting us off with that last week. And today we're going to pick up on the second chapter of Jonah. And if you've seen the title of the sermon in your program, we're talking about a cry from the darkness. And the darkness is literally from within the fish, as we'll talk about um, in just a a bit. Um, But as we start this, I want to back up for one second and do just two bits of review and information before we kind of jump into where we are today. The first is just a little bit of context again on this um, chapter of the Bible. So if you'll remember, the book of Jonah is about right there. It's one of the 12 minor prophets in the sequence of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And um, it's a book that's a little bit different than the other 12 because like mo- most of the times when you're reading one of the prophetic books like that, you're used to hearing a prophet who's been a vessel of God to proclaim something and the book is really just capturing their words that they say. But this one is a narrative. It's a narrative story. So it's a little bit different that way. Where do people place it? Um, we, there's a little bit of talk about that last week. But really, scholars don't have hard facts and evidence about when to say it was. But a lot of scholars will say that based mainly on the language that appears within Jonah, that it is in the post-exilic Persian period, like basically 6th to 4th century B.C. kind of range um, with where it is. And, and sort of the, uh, one more thing I want to say just like generally about the book before we kind of go back to it is, is it history and literal or is it a story kind of a thing? I want to encourage you not to get lost on that because if you get lost in that, you're, not gonna, you're gonna miss part of the story. Like, I I want to suggest for a minute, it may not even matter, right? We believe it's inspired. We we believe that God gave it to us to learn from it and that it's truth. And that's the way we're going to treat it and we're going to open it up. So don't get hung up on, okay, how big was that fish and how did he leave? You know, what? don't worry about all those details. I want to suggest let's just move forward. Last week, as I said, Eric did a great job of starting us off with um, the first chapter. I want to back up for those of you who weren't here and do just a quick, quick review, like a super quick review of um, chapter one. And if you remember how this went, or if you weren't with us, let me just say it. Jonah one, verse one starts out, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He starts out by, by giving this call to the prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh. And we know Nineveh is this, it's the capital of Assyria at the time. Um, as it says in the passage, that it, it's known, it's, it's wicked. Like we read back and we, we understand there were lots of horrible things happening there with lots of injustices, with, with um, innocent people being punished and tortured and all kinds of, of things going on. And so God gives this command to Jonah to go because he wants to call them back. And Jonah's answer, as we heard last week, was no, not going there. In fact, I'm not only going to not go there, I'm going to turn and go the opposite direction to a destination that's like 2,000 something miles away in the opposite direction. 
And God is like, no, okay, hang on. This mission I've given you is way too important for you to blow it off. It's way too important for you not to go. And I'm going to intervene in this situation. And he whips up this huge storm on the boat that's left Joppa. And the boat looks like it's about to break. It's, it's in complete distress. And Jonah, meanwhile, is down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. So the captain goes down there and wakes him up and says, hey, we're all praying to our gods. You're a prophet. Wake up and pray to your God. And I don't know if you really noticed it or not yet, but Jonah at this point is a non-praying prophet. We haven't seen him pray. We haven't heard him cry out. They've been crying out to their gods. He's done nothing. They're waking him up saying, go, go cry out to your God. And that may sound ridiculous at first, but I wonder how many of us check the box saying we're Christian and all this other stuff, but never pray. We may not check the prophet box like he did, but we check the Christian follower box, but we have almost no prayer life. Anyway, ponder that. We all ponder that. But he certainly, we don't hear anything about him praying to this point. And to his credit, I think, Jonah at about this time is willing to own what's happening. Like he tells them, okay, yeah, I'm running from God. I'm running in this opposite direction. You got, what you guys should do if you want to save yourself is you should probably pick me up and throw me overboard. And the sailors are like, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And I imagine about that time that lightning crashed a little louder. The ship went a little rougher. And they're like, okay, well, sorry, maybe we're going to do that. Maybe, maybe that's what we're going to have to do. And so they sort of apologize and they throw him overboard. And um, we get this verse then that we get in verse 17 of chapter 1. It's the final verse of the chapter where it says, But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's where our passage today picks up. He's in the belly of the fish. And it's a quick aside. If you grew up in the church, I don't know if you did or not, but if you did, you probably always heard the well. That's what the King James Version translated it as. But the Hebrew word, I'm told, is really a word that just means fish. So we don't really know what kind of fish it was. Again, don't get lost worrying about the literal, historical, whether it's a story. What it, just let that go, and let's focus on what happens and what the details are. Because I promise you, the church thinks it's inspired, and it's going to teach a truth. I'll promise you that. So... Um, we get this situation where all that's going on, and we get this chapter two. And, and before we get into the specifics of it, just stepping back from it for a moment, it's this beautiful kind of poem that takes place in the book of Jonah. It's this um, poetic, um, a lot of people will call it the psalm of Jonah. It's very lyrical that way. It's a beautiful lyrical prayer that's recorded in the passage, and it's written from the past tense. So again, to go, if we, for a moment, if we are literal, it's Jonah after the fact, remembering what God did in this moment and the prayers he prayed in that time, some of the key ones he remembers, and he's recording those. But I imagine that Jonah was praying for a long time in lots of really big ways at this moment, that he's, he's all about praying in this moment, in this crisis with what's taking place. And part of that is um, thinking about 
what he says at this moment, right, as he faces these, this, this severe crisis. And listen for just a moment um, as to what he says. We hear in verse 1, of, starting verse of the chapter 2, he says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And just so right there, just for a second, pause and think. That's the first time in, this, in, this, in the book, we're one chapter down, but that's the first point where we hear Jonah pray or cry out. And I wonder, like in this passage, how many of us have to get into a deep crisis before we pray? How many of us have to be the foxhole Christians who are in a deep crisis before we finally begin to pray? It certainly seems to be what Jonah does. Some people think, some people's prayer life now in the middle of all this COVID stuff is really taken off. I had somebody send me a meme this week um, that was, <laughs> I don't think they even knew I was really preaching about Jonah right now. But they sent me this meme that said, all right, who's supposed to go to Nineveh? Enough already. Just go. This call. And, you know, and, but hard times, if we lean into it, will pull us towards exercising faith and prayer. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer from last century, used to say that pain is God's megaphone, that that's part of how we hear God more clearly sometimes. But certainly Jonah is in this crisis, and that's when he begins to pray. That's the first time that we hear him pray in all of this. And we get this, um, this passage at the start of the second verse. And if I had to pick one passage out of the, to all of today's reading, this is the one I would focus on. But Jonah says, I, he's summarizing his whole experience. He says, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. He's saying, I, I called, and he answered me. In my distress, I called, and he answered me. And there's so much to just pause right there. They're like, there's so much to just pause and unpack that for a minute because it's the God of the universe. It's the judge of all time. It's the one who's ordered the stars. It's the one who's created us. It's, it's the God of all this magnificent power. And Jonah, this little guy, this one person on earth at this time, in this place, is crying out. And the God of all of this answers him. That's amazing. Ponder that. But that, to me, is not even the full depth of the amazement of this moment. Because back up again to what we, just, what we started with a minute, Jonah is the one who kind of said to God, yeah, forget you. You want me to go there? I'm going there. He's done the complete opposite of what God wants. And in God's love and mercy and grace, as the subtitle of our sermon series, His Relentless Love, he still answers him nonetheless. He answers him and comes after him and, 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 and gives him that, right? That it's not just that God's going to throw him aside for where he is. He called, I called the Lord in, out of my distress, and he answered me, he, he says. And we're mindful that the book of Hebrews talks about that we have, because of God's grace, this ability to approach God's throne with boldness, with confidence, that we have this ability to approach him. And it's, it's so powerful that way, right? We call upon the God of all. 
And this word distress that appears in this, I call for my distress, the Hebrew word, I'm not a Hebrew expert by any means, but they say that it's a word that is um, tied up with labor pains and with a woman in labor kind of a thing. It's that kind of, I call that in my distress, think intense, acute pain um, that's, that's coming in that way. And that's the kind of significant hurt that he's experiencing from this place where he writes and from where he is. And he goes on to say in the second part of that same verse, that's out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. This Sheol is, it's a word that can mean like the place of the graves. It can mean a place of the dead. Or as the King James Version of the Bible translates it here, it can be thought of as a, as a place of hell. And so kind of you back up and kind of rephrase or paraphrase this passage that he's saying. It's kind of like Jonah is saying in the midst of this place where I've got a miserable experience, where I've got nothing I can do, where I'm afraid, where I've got all these things going on, where I've got despair, where, I've, where I'm just you know, loaded down with fear and with nothing I feel like I can do. In the middle of that place, which is a place that feels like hell or Sheol, that's the place from which God answers me. And I think for us, this is a book, this is a story, this is a chapter, this is a verse that we can hold on to when we think about the own personal hells that we go through and crying out in our distress and the God of all answering us. And we experience it at so many levels, right? We experience it today with all the stuff going on with COVID. I was speaking with a friend of mine who's a, who's a counselor this week who was telling me about how all of her uh, patients or clients are so much more depressed, so much more down, so much more hopeless, so much more, all these different things. And that's where many of us are. We've got our own little hell going with all this stuff. And it's a reminder that in the middle of that, we cry out in our distress and God answers. Or for those of us who are there, who've been there, who can remember it or whatever, who are in some kind of relationship hell, whatever form it takes, it's a reminder to cry out to the God of all. It's not too small, it's not too little, and he'll hear us and he'll come in and answer us. Or all these different hells of the heart, our anxieties and our fears and our depression, all these different things, we cry out and God may not always be the way we want, but he will answer us and be with us in that moment. And on that note, I think it's worth pausing for a minute and looking at Jonah and thinking about how this chapter goes, right? Because if you think about it for a minute, I mean, it, God is God. God is the God of the universe. God is the God of all power, omnipotent, all of this. God could have just said, I'm going to take care of this like that. God could have said, you know, you're going over there. No, I'm just going to make the ship only go one direction. Or God could have said, the minute they threw him over, God could have said to the sailors, throw him a piece of wood. I'm going to make him go this way. Or God could have, you know, all the different ways he could have just had him walk on the water or could have instantly floated him on a, in the winds to the beach. All the different ways that he could have done this. But that's not the way he did it. Look at the process of what he did for a moment. 
You get this again to go back to chapter one for a second. God says, go. And Jonah says, no. And this whole thing starts, right? There's the storm. Maybe that's the first phase of Jonah being told, "Mm, you need to reconsider this one. But he doesn't. And then you get the captain coming down and waking him up, all this stuff. Hey, wake up, do your prophet thing. He doesn't really do it. And the sailors come, and they are ready to throw him overboard. They don't do it initially. That's a call. We're up to like our third step. And then finally, in desperation, they throw him over. And he doesn't drown. He isn't sucked up and go under. He's swallowed by a fish that really saves him in that moment. Another step in this phase. But we don't get him repenting just yet until we get to our chapter 2. And ultimately, the phase goes on to where he's put out on the beach. But think about all these different steps again and again. And our deal so oftentimes is we get down on our knees in a moment. We're in our own distress, our own labor pains. And we get down and we pray for this one thing and we get up and we say, yeah, he didn't answer that. Not realizing it may be step one of like these next six steps. And that's one of the reasons why I think if we... And I struggle to do this, but I do it some, and I can tell you it bears great fruit. If you can keep a spiritual journal, you will look back and you'll see God's hand going, oh, oh, that was step one, but I didn't see that. And that was step two. And you'll see, you can see God's hand more clearly when you look back at what you were writing and what you were living through and what you were going through at that time. Because God works in that way, right? And then we go on from there. And we pick up the next verses, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and we get um, sort of the summary of where this goes. Um, We get how God, and this is kind of like a quick summary of it. It's kind of like he's saying, oh, God, you hurled me into the deep. And we know the sailor's the one that did it, but he understands that ultimately that's God's the one that did it. And then in the next passage, we get one of these great moments because there's a shift here, right? In the, right here, there's a shift in the second part of verse 6 where you get one of these yet, like I, I thought I was dead, game over, everything's done, and yet, or but, you reached down into the pit and you lifted me up. And I don't know if you've noticed it, but all of chapter 1 was kind of talking about this downward movement. All these things are going downward. And this is the moment where it says, but you, but yet you got to this moment, you reached down and you picked me up. And that's what God, I think, does. I really do think that. Now, I've never met anybody who's been in in the belly of a fish. But I have met, and I have been there myself, many people who've been in a pit, who've been way down in a pit, where they don't even think they can see sunlight, who cry out, and it may not be on the terms that, exact terms they expected, but God reaches down and lifts them up and picks them up and carries them that way. We have this great passage, I cried out in my distress, and, and God answered me. I was down in the pit, and God lifted me up. That's the kind of God that we have, the God, kind of God who reaches out to us He goes on in verse 7 to say, as my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, 
in your holy temple. This idea that he's now in this deep crisis moment, and that's when he remembers God, he says. And I think that happens with us too, as I've said. Hard times call us back. But, But the other side of it is to think about what went on before that. Because our temptation a lot of times is when life is going well, everything's smooth and good, whatever else, our temptation is to put God on the shelf. And it's only when we remember him that we go back and get him kind of a thing. But we're tempted. Things are going good. I got this. I'm going to go live life my way. And we put him on the shelf. And maybe right now as we live through this weird time that we're in, it's a call for all of us to remember God and bring him back front and center and live in that place, live as God, as really as God people with God front and center and not on the shelf. I had lunch this week with a good friend of mine, good Christian friend. We were kind of, he was getting philosophical, I think, on where COVID is and all this stuff going on. And we, we kind of came to the end both agreeing and talking about how important it is during this time for us to keep our eyes on Jesus and to live from a place of hope. We are meant to be hope bearers in the world to be grounded deeply in this hope of God's meaning for us, God's call on you, God's permanent love for you, God's love, mercy, and grace, and relentless love that we see in Jonah is the place from which we live. And even in the darkest moments or whatever the trying circumstances of the day are, to speak hope into that. And Jonah today saying, oh, I remembered. I came back to this moment And I remembered the Lord in that place. We live from that place. And as soon as he says that, the very next verse, verse 8, he says, those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. And I think those two sentences are connected because he's talking about how he's gone back to remembering God. And he's like, it's almost as if he's saying, well, the reason I kind of didn't remember him was because I got wrapped up in these idols. Is it because I was so focused on myself? Was it because I was so focused on things I want, my life, my way? Was it it even things for us to ponder these days? Was it it his prejudices? Was it like those people in Nineveh? They're in northern Iraq. I I don't want to have anything to do with them. Or they're just notorious sinners. I don't want to have anything to do with them. What are those biases or those idols or those different things that we succumb to that keep us from not only remembering, but putting God at the forefront? Is it our love of power or money or whatever else, our own sense that we need to accomplish? I don't know. All kinds of things that can pull us away. Well, there are two verses left in this second chapter, and I'm going to look at both of those real fast. Verse 9 Jonah says, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. There are like three concepts in that verse. The first of which is, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will, will speak. This idea that he's, he's in a dark place, right? I mean, he is in a dark place crying out. Okay, belly of the well, whatever fish you want to vision, he's in a pit. And with a voice of thanksgiving, this is a reminder to us that whatever darkness we experience on any day, 
Let's find something to be thankful for, because on even the worst day, there's something to be thankful for. You two fans go back and listen to Beautiful Day, all of that. There's always something to be thankful for. And he goes on and he says, what I vowed, I will do. And it doesn't tell us what he vowed. The context makes me think, oh, I vowed I would go to Nineveh. I vowed that I'm, I'll, I'll go. You, I vowed I would speak when you called me to speak. Early on in life, I told you I'd do that. I'm going to do that faithfully. And these two things, I think, are, are things for us to ponder in the week. Giving thanksgiving, even in the pit. And what vows or what promises have you made to God that maybe you haven't followed through on? It's a great moment to stop and reflect on that. And then we come to the very final verse, and we'll obviously wrap up with this. But before I read it, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jonah is in the belly of the fish. He's in this dark pit. He's finally come back around to praying. But apart from crying out in this dark place, he's done nothing else, right? There's no acts of service. There's no charity acts he can do in there. There's nothing... There's nothing he can do. He's sitting inside this fish other than turning his heart to God and crying out. That's all he can do. But God in his love and his mercy and his grace hears him as we've heard and he responds. And we get the final passage for this week. Then the Lord spoke to the fish and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. Or as the message translation says, then God spoke to the fish and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore. It's kind of a, a gross image, but also kind of a beautiful image. And we're left today, I think, really thinking about this passage and going back to verse 2. I called out in my distress, and the Lord answered me. Wherever you are, cry out, and God will answer. Not always the way we want, and maybe sometimes it's a process but he'll answer. He loves you. This book is about God's relentless love for the world. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us. Even when you tell us to go and we say no, you love us. Even when we get it wrong, even when we mess up, you love us. You don't give up on us. Help us in whatever moments of trial and challenge we face to always remember you, to turn to you, and to cry out to you, and to place our hope and our faith and our confidence that you answer us in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.